Hello and welcome to Footnotes, the Cicerone podcast, a podcast to inspire you about outdoor travel and activities in the UK and across the world. I'm Hannah and thanks for joining us for our latest fortnightly episode. Today I'm talking to Fee Darby. Hi Fee. Hello Hannah. Nice to see you. Can you please just introduce yourself and just who are you and, and what do you do? Okay, so my name's Fee Darby. I'm an outdoor writer and instructor. I've been working with um, people in the outdoors for, oh, I, I did it up this morning and was scared to hear that it, find out it was 20 years. <laughs> Ever since my <laughs> daughter and sons were scouts, I helped as a scout leader. And I still work with young people in the outside and I also train um, adults in navigation as well. I was a co-author of the popular walking blog, Two Blondes Walking, and now I write for myself and I write for different outdoor publications as a freelance outdoor writer. So you've got a lot of uh, experience in the outdoor industry and also a lot of passion uh, for getting outside. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I'm an uh, Ordnance Survey Get Outside champion, but I just I just think it makes such a difference to people's lives, young people, older people. I think um, being in the outdoors can just lift a life. If you, you know, if things are tough or you're not enjoying yourself or work seems a bit stressful, just getting outside and escaping from it all can be a real bonus. And then making it your job is also quite a nice thing to do if you can. Yeah, I, th- I think that's something that I've talked about quite a lot on the podcast is just the benefit of getting outdoors and how it can just help every situation and, and every person, really. I think it's it's a really important thing to do. Whatever level, you don't have to go and climb the Matterhorn. You know, you can just spend a bit of time in your local woods or whatever works for you, I think. But one thing that we're having, I guess, a bit of a, an issue with at the moment is the cost of living crisis is uh, on everyone's minds. Bills are going up um, and it is getting more and more difficult, I think, to access the outdoors, even for people who had no troubles with it before. We thought we'd chat to you today about how to get outdoors on a budget and some of your your ideas and suggestions of ways that you can do it a little more affordably. Yeah, there's a new, it's a really interesting one. It's a topic that I've been thinking about for a long time because working with young people and, and I was a teacher when I started doing Duke of Edinburgh's award and 10 tours training and the young people we were working with often had very low budgets and quite often we had parents say I can't afford for them to do this so we worked quite hard to help them find ways of getting gear that was more reasonable we lent them a lot of gear we used to end up with no jackets ourselves because we'd let them all out to the youngsters but we learned lots of lessons about that and I, I think so I think it is really important because the outdoors is absolutely for everybody but if you read kit lists or look at shopping lists or see gear recommendations you can very easily see how lots of people might feel they're priced out of the market it doesn't need to be that way there's lots and lots of ways that you can make it a little bit cheaper if you want to. And I think my favourite one really is second-hand gear. There's so much second-hand gear available. I spend a lot of time in charity shops because um, <laughs> I think I'm, I don't know, I like, I'm sucker for a bargain really. And also I think charity shops are fantastic because they're, they're giving, they provide employment in the local community, sometimes for people who might find it difficult to find employment otherwise. And they also something to the community. So 
if you can find outdoor gear in a charity shop, I think it's a real win-win. So I've been doing lots of research and I've discovered that there's some things you find lots of in a charity shop and some things you maybe won't find so easily. So base layers, I don't think I would go and buy a new base layer again, especially synthetic ones. I mean, I love merino base layers. They are more expensive and they don't last as long. I think they probably work better than synthetic ones and they're better for the environment than synthetic ones. But you've got to balance up a piece of gear that's, you know, it's longevity. So synthetic base layers, I found loads and loads of those in charity shops. They're really easy to find. And, you know, you can you can layer up those. You don't just have to wear one to get you, to get your warmth levels. You can put two or three on. So they're great. Thin fleeces. So if you're looking at a, a DOV kit list, for example, it would say an intermediate layer or something like that. Well, a thin fleece is an example of that. And I've seen loads of those in charity shops, both in sort of male-friendly, female-friendly, middle-somewhere-friendly colours. They're all sorts of options. They're not all pink and they're not all blue. Um, they're not all too fluffy. <laughs> Uh, thicker fleeces as well so um, thicker fleeces have kind of dropped out of fashion a little bit for um, things like soft shell and stuff like that but they they're really warm and the brilliant thing about them is they dry so quickly as well compared to you know I've I've been on Duke of Edinburgh's award expeditions where we've had 30 youngsters and been drying all of their kits in the farmer's barn and I can tell you that the fleeces dry the fastest so thick fleeces you'll find lots of those um charity shops as well so that's quite interesting there are some items i haven't seen so many of uh, in the charity shops waterproof jackets not so many um things like walking boots not so many but i have seen both um but yeah so my starting point would be a charity shop for second-hand gear always but then you can find stuff online quite easily as well. So uh, this morning I've just had a quick look at eBay and Facebook Marketplace and Gumtree, and I found something I quite liked on all of them in my size, in a in a, a brand I would probably wear, you know, as a somebody starting out in the outdoors. So secondhand definitely is quite good, I think. Yeah, and I think it's it's nice as well with secondhand gear. You do get that feeling of a bargain. I, I'm the same as you. I absolutely love that. Like, well, this is this is supposed to be four hundred pounds, and I've just found it for sixty or, or whatever it is. It's I love that. Um, but also, you've got the the environmental aspects as well, and that you are you're giving a second life to that garment. Where there's nothing wrong with it, and it would be it would just be such a sin if that was to go on landfill and and where somebody could be wearing it and and having adventures in it so it's a yeah that's a really nice thing to do and every time I go somewhere new um this would be my top tip for charity shops is if you're on holiday somewhere go to the really posh charity like the charity shops in the really posh parts of town because oh my god it's amazing what people will throw away and uh my wife and I went to uh we went to York a couple of years ago and we went around all the charity shops of York and we just got so many things. I got this dress that I was going to wear for a wedding and it was it was like Hobbs or Jaeger or some super fancy brand and it was £12 or something. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, that I wouldn't wear that for going outdoors, but it was, it's just a, it's worth trying these charity shops for 
anything that you need, really. It absolutely is. It sometimes works if you've got lots of time, if you want something specific for an occasion. But my tip with charity shops is don't go in looking for a specific thing. You'll probably find the, um, the, I don't know, the waterproof jacket you're looking for on a day that isn't the day you're looking for it. So you have to go in with an open mind and think, well, I might need that. It's the middle of the summer, but that jumper might be useful. Oh, that's another thing. You find lots and lots of um, lamb's wool jumpers in charity shops. Now, they are not very handy if you need to get them into a rucksack because they take up lots of space. But if you're doing something like um, camper van camping, or something like that you might be sitting around for a long time. Actually, a wool jumper is really warm. It's That's my go-to in the camper van. Is And I've got – my husband has started asking me why I've bought home quite so many lamb's wool jumpers from charity shops now. <laughs> <laughs> I do sometimes recycle the yarn. I sometimes unpick them and um, crochet them into hats as well. If you want to go super cheap, that's another way of doing it because actually buying knitting yarn or crochet yarn is quite expensive if you buy it new. You can recycle that. I'd never thought about that. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I did it a lot last year. I crocheted all my family a blanket for Christmas and it was all secondhand yarn. And we bought the yarn as we travelled around Scotland. So I picked it up in charity shops around Scotland. You bought yarn or you bought jumpers and unpicked? I bought yarn and I bought jumpers. I bought jumpers as well. You, ha- I've discovered that um, hand-knitted items are far easier to unpick some factory one you waste a lot less of the yarn but it's it's been a really interesting experiment and my favorite hats now are all ones that I've crocheted myself from secondhand yarn what a great idea I hadn't even thought about that no it's good fun it's good fun it's quite I enjoyed the challenge I set it as my sort of last year's challenge we had a really um a really chilly dark trip up to Scotland in the camper van in October and um Having something to crochet kept me warm because doing blankets, they got bigger and bigger. So I got warmer and warmer <laughs> as the trip went on. Yeah, I was looking actually yesterday at um, getting some more reflective gear for me and the dogs when we're out in the in the winter and the evenings. Because when I get home from work now, it's dark. Um, and I, I noticed you can buy reflective yarn. Oh. And I thought I might try like stitching reflective yarn into things that I already own um, to make them reflective instead of buying brand new reflective things. Um, I, I got the idea from my dog who's got this jumper. When when you're in the house or, you know, in the in the daylight, it just looks like a mustard jumper. He's very spoiled, but he, <laughs> he gets really cold, so he needs a jumper. Um, but when you take him out at nighttime, and it only works if it's dry because you wouldn't want him wearing a wet jumper, but at night time, it's got reflective thread oh. sewn through the entire jumper. And he is completely lit up like a Christmas tree. He's so visible. And he's just wearing a fluffy jumper. Yeah, because reflective gear is an interesting one, isn't it? Because you wouldn't wear reflective gear for quite a lot of the times you're outside. You wouldn't want to wear something reflective. I bought my husband a really bright reflective cycling jacket once. But he doesn't wear it very often because it makes him so sweaty. So, I mean, he does occasionally still wear it. And also because they look reflective, you wouldn't necessarily wear a T-shirt that's reflective in the daytime because you'd feel a bit daft. No, but if you were going out doing night walking, you could uh, knit a bit of yarn into your hack that you were making. (laughs) I'm going to have to go and buy some now. (laughs) That would work quite well, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, I thought that, you know, you wouldn't need to do the the entire hat, but if you just did a bit of a trim... 
It's an interesting one. In I've, one of the notes I made earlier on was about not we. I think I don't know if it's just consumerism or the way we we think about things. It's easy to think that you need different outdoor gear for each of your outdoor activities. You know, so I've got a and you don't a base layer is going to keep you warm wherever you are, even under um, a dry suit. So I've got a kayaking thermal top that um. Oh, gosh, it must be a million years old now. But I bought that in the days when we did lots and lots of kayaking. and We did some white water in the winter and stuff. And it was fantastic then under my dry top. But it's absolutely brilliant now. For, I wear it to sleep in when I'm camping because it's quite a close, tight fitting one. And I think that's a really good example of gear that if you can buy things that you know will do for lots of your outdoor activities, I think that really helps. And um there's some things, obviously, like a helmet that you need the right one for the right activity. And safety gear is definitely somewhere you can't really compromise, I think. Yeah. And also where you can't, you know, you can't do secondhand. No, you can't do secondhand. No. You don't want to be buying a secondhand rope, particularly unless you really know the heritage of it or, you know, secondhand harness or caving helmet or anything like that. It's it's much more risky. But then you can save your because some import some items are really really important. So you can save your money to focus on those ones. I think. And the other side of it is, you if you're just starting out with the outdoors, you don't you don't necessarily know where you're going to end up. You don't know whether you're going to love walking, whether running will be your thing, whether it will be outdoor swimming. I guess you could be a triathlete and do all of them. <laughs> but you but you you don't know, and you also don't know whether you're going to enjoy it or whether you're going to want to continue walking around your block with the dog or whether you'll eventually want to climb a mountain or so you don't need to get I think that the world is out there telling you the advertising world is out there telling you that you need to buy the latest Gucci gear straight away otherwise you won't be okay but you will be okay you might get very wet the first time and then you'll think well hang on a minute that isn't I don't know these waterproof trousers aren't working for me I'll get something a bit better yeah I mean I do I I do strongly feel that you are more likely to enjoy the outdoors if you are warm and you're comfortable and and you're dry you know and when I first started doing outdoors things and I I didn't have good kit I was you know trying to find the enthusiasm for it when you know that you're just going to be freezing cold is difficult so I think you do need to try to get some stuff that will keep you warm and dry but you know when I first started one of my favorite items was a a fleecy pajama set that I had and it's like you were saying before about fleece you can you can almost I could take off this pajama top that I was wearing and that was when I was doing kayaking as well and I'd take off the pajama top and I'd wring it out and with a really tight ring it was nearly dry and then I'd put it back on and I'd be I'd feel a lot better and that was really cheap and I could wear it for everything. And I just wore it as like, yeah, underneath everything. You've got an interesting environmental balance there because lots of people will say that fleece is a really bad thing for the environment, which it, it is not good. But if you use it for lots of things, keep it for a long time and buy it secondhand, then that kind of helps balance that out, I think, anyway. If it's secondhand, it's already out there in the world, isn't it? The, you know, the, That's the main part of the damage has been done. So you're kind of saving it from landfill if you keep if you keep using it. No, I agree. Okay, so what's your next top tip? 
my next top tip. Well, I was thinking about, um, so the two things I think, because I do lots of walking, the two things I think that really, really matter are your waterproofs and your boots. Yeah, nobody is going to love a walk with um, blisters. Nobody, in the, you know, not even the most eager walker in the world. So I was, I've been thinking that about that a lot. You can buy both of those things secondhand. I think, I, I mean, I've seen so many youngsters with brand new boots and blisters that I sometimes I think maybe a secondhand pair is going to be a bit softer on 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 soft feet. So there is that. Um, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that. I would I would suggest people did have a go at secondhand waterproofs to start off with. I would maybe suggest that they waterproof themselves before they start. So get a good proofing product. They aren't that expensive. You get quite a lot of uses out of bottles of um, waterproofing stuff. Um, so, yeah, so I would suggest that for waterproofs. Boots, again, it's so expensive to buy a new pair of boots. Unless you buy a really, really expensive pair, you're not going to keep the water out anyway. So I would, again, suggest trying secondhand. Borrowing is another one. If you, I often say to people who've got youngsters doing DOB, is there any kit you can borrow? You know, can you, uh, in the family, has anybody got this piece of kit? And that can help. But it's it's those two ones are tricky. But there are a couple of like if you wanted to buy more expensive stuff, there are cheaper ways to do it. Um, both Paramo and Van Gogh. Van Gogh's more camping stuff, but Paramo's obviously on the on the top end side of waterproof gear, and a favourite of mine. But they do um, they've got recycled gear. So if you if you decided you really did want an item like that. It's worth having a look at there. And I don't mean by recycled, I don't mean they use recycled fabrics. I mean, they take back their gear. Yeah, like refurbished almost. Refurbish it, yeah. So, and I know that other organisations are moving in that direction now. So that's worth looking out for. Yeah, I think Paramo is, um, I mean, they are one of my favourites as well. And they're so comfortable to wear. Mm. They are They are really expensive. There's no getting around it. But they... They also offer a lifetime guarantee. Yeah. Um, so it is a massive outlay, but if you can afford it, you know that you can you're going to be able to keep that garment and keep it waterproof forever. Really, it's it will last a long time. Yeah. Well, mine's doing well so far. I I think the other thing about my Paramo jacket is that I will wear it for lots and lots of things. Once I've put it on in the morning I, I quite often find I'm taking it off at bedtime again because as you say they're very comfortable and they dry really fast as well yeah you've got to think how much use am I going to get out of this one of my bugbears actually although I've probably been proved wrong in this one now is um dry robes <laughs> I do a lot of outdoor swimming and I'm, I think they have encouraged lots of dry big great big I'm talking about the great big fleecy dry robes that look quite swingy I think they've helped lots of people feel that they can go swimming, but also I would hate somebody to feel they couldn't go if they didn't have one because I've been swimming through the winter for seven years now and I haven't got one and I'm, I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But I, my original question was with them was, are they actually useful for anything else? But I'm discovering actually they appear to be. I challenged a group of D of E youngsters the other day. They were looking at, for their expedition name, they were looking at um, – how people were using the environment. And so my challenge to them was to find somebody wearing a dry robe on a horse because I thought that would be oh, impossible. Good idea. And they, they did. They did find 
they did find somebody wearing a dry robe on a horse. So maybe dry robes are more useful in everyday life. I have seen people wearing dry robes as coats. Yes, I have as well around campsites. And I, well, I saw someone walking through town wearing wearing one, and I I I must admit I I thought they looked a bit silly, um, but. If if it's a comfortable garment, I mean, I I love comfort. So if I, maybe if I got one and I tried it on, I would do the same and I'd keep it on for forever. Maybe I'm just I I'm usually behind the time with these trends, but I don't like the idea of something that's single use. It's only got one usefulness to it. So yeah, again, I might be a bit behind the times with these trends <laughs> things, but I, I think actually I could imagine there must be somebody somewhere who's sitting at home with theirs on instead of putting the heating on. So who knows? But maybe that maybe it's a question of just changing the way we look at gear. So it's not a, a jacket for walking; it's a, a jacket to also go in the garden in, or um, not running necessarily. That might not work, but you know what I mean. It's um, this this down jacket I'm buying, I can sleep in it. I can wear it after my swim. I can keep it in my um, rucksack just in case anybody needs something to warm them up quickly. I can um, shove it on at the end of a cycle ride. I don't ever go on a bike, so if my husband listens to this, he'll be laughing at me now. <laughs> I can shove it on <laughs> a, at the end of a cycle ride just to keep me warm. You know, maybe we yeah. need to think multi-use because that spreads the cost a bit. Yeah, But it's yeah, initial outlay that's the problem for a lot of people. And I do honestly believe that second-hand gear is going to solve a lot of problems in all sorts of ways. I, I am a marketing person, but I think don't always believe the marketing. Um, no. you know, you, you, like you said, you, you can do outdoor swimming without a dry robe. Um, I went for an outdoor swim the other day and I don't have a dry robe and I was perfectly fine. Um <laughs> But yeah. I did have a friend who, you know, she, she's she got a dry robe and she loves it. So Yeah, and I think the other side of it is, it, you know, you are, it is important in some ways if you can support an outdoor brand that you value and you like, you rec- you, you like their values and you appreciate what they do, then in lots of ways, like, um, who could I think of? Oh, the other thing I didn't mention um, was um, I worked quite a lot with Rohan in the past because they've got, they work with the Gift Your Gear scheme. Have you heard of that? Yes, yeah, yeah. Where you can drop stuff off, can't you? For they normally run at this time of year. Actually, you can drop stuff off. You'll get a discount on new gear from Rohan. But we, I've worked on the other end of their scheme, and when we worked with um, in the school I was talking about at the beginning, they used to send us boxes full of outdoor gear for our kids to use, and it was fantastic. And so, if you're somebody who's working with a group of youngsters, gift your gear are worth getting in touch with. But also, if you want to support something like that, then um, look it up online and see where you can drop your gear off and then that gets another home and you're helping somebody else be able to access the outdoors and um yeah but I mean at bottom the bottom line of it really is outdoor gear has become really really big business and that's great because it's providing jobs and all sorts of things like that but it would be a shame for it to put people off. When I first started, we were telling the lads in our tent horse teams to borrow their sister's tights and put those <laughs> on under their trousers. And, and they did. And they kept warm. <laughs> and, um, you know, and at the very basic level, you could wear three pairs of leggings and your legs would be warm enough. It, well, they'd be warmer than they would be in one. And yeah. I think it's it's just important to to see a balance. Grey outdoor gear can really, like you said, make the difference between whether or not you enjoy the outdoors 
And we all appreciate a jacket that will keep us dry. But if we're trying to encourage lots of people, it's important to recognise that there's other routes into gear. And I think I think um, outdoor brands are recognising that. I think more people are recognising that. I think the um, stigma of secondhand is certainly disappearing. And certainly amongst people who are younger than me, I think that's that's definitely a thing. I think are quite. I was talking to my niece who's 12 yesterday and she was talking about going to charity shops to buy Halloween costumes. And she was really excited. She said, yeah, I found a black dress. I wear it all the time. And I thought that was really exciting that somebody that age was quite into that already. Yeah. I mean, my colleague is 10 years younger than me and she she's like a, a traditional old lady in loads of ways where she came in yesterday <laughs> and she'd knitted, knitted her own... Um, kind of body warmer type thing and and I think oh, there is there's there seems to be a shift away from needing to buy everything new and and some of that is environmental and, and some of it will be people trying to save a little bit of money here and there yeah well it might be unpopular thing to say but I do think that some of the some of the things that we're finding because of the um cost of living crisis and I only mean some of them are actually, once we learn to manage without some things, we're actually benefiting the environment as well. So, um, you know, we can take the good out of what is not a very good situation and kind of think, ah, yeah, because I remember when actually I used to have ice on the inside of my attic. This is, this, is, this is true. I used to have ice on the inside of my attic bedroom window when I was a girl and I wore a hat, a jumper and had a hot water bottle. And and the hat and the jumper and the hot water bottle have been things that I've taken into my outdoor life. So they were there were lessons I learned when I was young that, you know, learning how to keep yourself warm is, is maybe something we've all have forgotten a little bit. Well, you get used to a, a level of comfort, don't you? And it's that it's that level of oh, I've I, I've I've got a hole in my jumper, I'll just go and buy a new one because it's the easiest thing to do. Um and I think there are reasons why that's not necessarily the best idea and actually if you can repair your jumper then you will save a little bit of money but also you you you're just environmentally you're doing a doing a bit of a good deed and and actually the environment needs our good deeds and uh, my wallet needs my good deeds at the moment so (laughs) (laughs) some of those things could be a win-win then couldn't they (laughs) yeah definitely and one thing I was going to say about walking boots and it is not a it's not a very well tested um tip but my dad has just got into walking and he bought a pair of work boots from Ah. Wix and he said that they're really comfortable and that they're waterproof they've got a steel toe cap so you know I don't know whether that's necessarily helpful well it might be if there's dangerous fur cones (laughs) yeah he he is not a, a mega walker just yet but you know we've done some we've done some decent walks. He's done a couple of Wainwrights, and he's been wearing these work boots. But again, it's a it's a marketing thing because they're branded as work boots. Yeah, they're a lot cheaper than even the cheapest pair of hiking boots, um, and they're they're really sturdy and durable. So, I mean, it might be that he he can't walk more than eight miles in them. Maybe they've got a limit. But at the moment, he's pretty happy with that purchase. 
That is interesting because actually, if you looked at which of those two sorts of boots could you wear in the most situations, the work boots would win, wouldn't they? Because he could also wear those to do a bit of building if he felt like it after after his eight mile walk, which sounds quite a decent walk to me. <laughs> I don't think we've actually done more than five at the moment, but I'm trying to think what would the limit be for these boots? Yeah, um, but they are they're tough. You know, they are they're they're designed to be durable because if Wix sold a load of builders boots that broke after a couple of weeks, then I think they'd be, you know, they'd, they'd be inundated with angry builders, which I don't think anybody would want. No, it's my, my favorite option for a day. <laughs> but it's a bit like, um, you know, if you, if you're Googling things and you put wedding in front of it, anything that you put the word wedding in front of, they, they stick this extra chunk of cash on. And I wonder whether it's like that with walking boots. They just, yeah, Sometimes. I don't know. I mean, has he found the soles okay on them? Has he hasn't found them slippery or anything? No, he's been really happy with them so far. So, like oh. I said, it's it's early days, but it's yeah, it's, that's it. It might be a top tip. It's a it's a potential top tip in the making. We'll see. Well, it could be if you've got somebody, or maybe somebody who's already got a pair of work boots, and you know, then they can go out for walk, and they, then they've got the option to find out. Yeah, if you really love it and you're doing it all the time then maybe you can save up for. I'm a big fan of saving up for things, actually. I think it makes you value them a bit more. If you've had to save up for, I've saved up for walking boots before now, and it's made me look after them better when I've got them. Yeah, that's true. I think, um, well, Joss, Joss Naylor started his running career um, in a pair of work boots. Oh, really? Uh, the the very first run he did when he was he was 16 or something, he just... He went out, he got encouraged to do this run and he went out in his working gear and, and won the race or, and, and he was just wearing walking boots. So I think it doesn't, having the right kit doesn't necessarily, you know, not having the right kit doesn't necessarily stop you doing something. There are there are plenty of, of walks where you can just wear trainers, loads and loads of walks where you can just wear trainers. That's true, actually. And yeah, you're right. Absolutely. And um. Yeah, I I don't know. I I mean, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love a really good pair of properly gorgeous walking boots. But also, I on the days I haven't got them, I I'm quite happy to go out in a, you know something else. Yeah, I think I think the thing is that not to ignore marketing and what's online because there's lots of useful information there. Let's not forget that if you're buying a secondhand jacket, you can use online information to find out more about that brand. And that might work in the brand's favour. If you bought a secondhand rab jacket and then you really loved it, but decided you you doing so much in the outdoors that you wanted to buy a new one for yourself, maybe the maybe the other one wore out or something, then you're more likely to buy that brand again. So actually, from a even from a brand and sales point of view, secondhand can be a useful tool if companies have made things to last well enough, which is something I know lots and lots of outdoor brands, again, are looking at more and more. Yeah, I think that is worth saying, actually, is brands that make expensive products are not just making products that are expensive for the hell of it. You know, they are making exquisitely crafted products that will last a really long time. On the whole, there are probably some brands out there that are just, you know, slapping a badge on something and, and charging more. But most of the ones that... I know and love and appreciate are doing it because they're they are making a really really quality product you know if you get a pair of Mindel boots or you get a Paramo jacket you are Mm. it's an investment um so I'm not all about trying to avoid buying any gear um I think what 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 scares me a little bit is 
is just that idea that people will feel like the outdoors is not for them unless they've well unless anything I, I don't like that feeling that anyone would ever think that the outdoors is not for them um and it's if you if you can't you know if you need to make cutbacks or you can't afford to do something how can you do it a little bit more cheaply well then secondhand gear is a big part of that you're absolutely right and, and you <laughs> my, my mind all boots are, are oh gosh they've taken me through some bogs and they've been brilliant and you're right there's so much craftsmanship and when you wear a jacket that's got all the pockets in exactly the right place and a hood that does up over your hat and doesn't drip in your glass on your glasses or you know you you know that somebody's really put some love and care into that so yeah I do agree with that there's a lot of attention to detail goes into outdoor gear some of the time not all of the time as you said one thing I was going to mention was um, fuel costs Mm. and that is also a, a problem at the moment you know trying to trying to drive up to the Lake District for me I have to be yeah. more conscious of the, the fuel that it's going to cost yeah. so do you have any top tips on on that? Well I'd love to say go on the train but <laughs> I, I've been doing lots I've been I spent this year trying to um, do some of my outdoor ventures by train instead of by um, car uh, to see how that works because obviously that's more sustainable and I actually really like train travel as well but it's quite expensive We've we've costed it up a few times. Uh, I had to go up to Dorset the other day, and I live in Devon. And the train actually actually that worked out very similar because our our camper van is our only vehicle and it's quite old. That worked out similar, so that doesn't help. Um, I think the thing is you have to try and be open minded about where you go, which is difficult when you want to go somewhere like the Lake District, which is just. You know, it's like nowhere on earth. We love the Cairngorms, and that's a ridiculous place to get to from Devon. That's mm. It seems crazy. In fact, we've chatted to lots of people up in the Highlands who like to come to Devon on holiday. <laughs> but, um, so that's that's a tricky one. We haven't been since last year because of the cost because of the cost of the diesel. But um, so you have to try and be a bit more flexible. Like for us. Um, Wales is quite easy to get to, uh, but then getting up to Snowdonia is more expensive. But we've we've been rediscovering Mid Wales, which is a you know it's an hour or so less travel time. So I think being flexible and being willing to try and explore not necessarily what's immediately on your doorstep, but what might be in, nearer, I think that can help. When it was COVID and we weren't allowed to travel, I discovered the Trough of Boland for the first time. Well, not the first time, but I. You know, I've lived by the Forest of Boland for mm. years and years and years and not really done much walking there. And that was a nice thing for me was to just get to know my local area a bit better. Um, yes. And actually, I think it's, it is surprising what what you can find really close to home. Even for people in London, you know, there's there's tons of walks that you can do. There's loads of green space in London. Um, there's loads of blue blue spaces as well in London. Um, yeah. So even if you are somewhere quite urban, there is probably somewhere that is a bit easier to get to than one of these honeypot destinations like the Lake District or the Cairngorms. I've seen quite a lot of bus companies as well doing Mm. family passes for the day. Yeah, that's true. That probably works out quite cheap. If you're going somewhere where, you know, there's maybe there's four of you and you, you get a family pass there's certainly some good deals on trains for uh, I I don't fit in any I'm quite looking forward to being 60 because I can get a rail card then 
I think it's 60. It might be 65. But um, so I don't fit in any rail car categories at the moment. But there are some good ones, particularly the family and friends one. My niece and nephew just came down. They've come down this week to visit and they came down on their family and friends rail card. So on the train. So that's quite good. The other thing you can do with train fares is look at um, ticket splitting websites. So there's one called Train Split. And they will, they look at um, selling you individual legs of the journey. So instead of, say, I was traveling from Torquay to um, Birmingham, then it might be that if I was a ticket to Bristol and then Bristol to Birmingham as two separate tickets instead of one journey, it might be cheaper. So you can look at ticket splitting on, on the trains. That can make a difference. Things like the problem with advanced tickets now on the train is that with the current train strikes that can be a little bit problematic train strikes actually haven't caused me any issues because i've I've got a very flexible timetable and i don't tend to plan a long time ahead but advanced tickets on trains are cheaper traveling off peak is a lot cheaper as well yeah i think there's nothing worse than a rail a rail replacement i i hate those you know when you (laughs) when you turn up and you think you're going to be on the train for 20 minutes or something and then you get a bus that's going to be an hour and a half it's it's not the same experience is it (laughs) it's not it's really not (laughs) but yeah no so those are my i mean i I, the camper van saved us lots of money not that camper vans are cheap to buy but if you had a van already we've lived out of the back of other vehicles as well we used to have um a four by four toyota and we quite often just slept in the back of that to save money traveling around places i won't get into the whole do you sleep on the side of the road in your camper van or not argument because that's a whole another kettle of fish but we don't do that as much as we used to and campsite fees have gone up a lot that's something we've been noticing recently we've just been trying to plan a trip and the price of campsites is a lot more than it used to be understandably because i'm sure camping costs you know camping site management costs have gone up that's an interesting one and that that will for lots of people cause issues but you can look at different accommodations as well you can still get um rooms in shared dormitories at the youth at youth hostels bunk houses are great you know it's a group of you and it's a small bunk house you can book a whole bunk house for and self-cater so that's really good carrying around a camp stove is a good idea because then you're not buying sandwiches and cups of tea and stuff all the time as you travel because actually quite a lot of the cost of traveling up the motorway is isn't the fuel it's the oh i need a cake here i'm at gloucester Gloucester services that's my favorite coffee um (laughs) although the other thing we have done it's not always cheaper but quite often is is we've slept in the van at service stations and in vehicles that aren't camper vans we've slept in at service stations as well quite a lot of them have got darker areas and you can just ring up and pay to do that unfortunately it's not free in europe a lot of the time it's free but um you have to pay so we've done that quite often and a lot of them have showers in the morning as well i'd never even thought about that but i suppose they're set up for all the truckers aren't they i think they want you to be there because you're going to spend in their shops so yeah it's more expensive than you might imagine but it's not as expensive as a campsite and it means you haven't got to drive somewhere off the motorway network as well so if you literally just want somewhere to sleep and then carry on that can save some money. Well, I feel like we could keep talking all day. Um, <laughs> the, there's a lot to discuss, and I'm sure there's there's lots that we haven't haven't covered. Um, but yeah, I, I, what I, I think what I would like to to say is a shout out really to anybody listening. And if you've got your own top tips, um, you know we're not 
we're not experts in saving money in the outdoors. This this has just basically been a chat between between two friends of things that we could try um, sharing ideas. But actually, if you've got any suggestions, things that you think that we should uh, promote, then please do send me an email at live at cicerone.co.uk and, and I'll share those as well. Or find us on Facebook or, or Twitter or Instagram and, and let us know your top tips for, for getting outdoors on, on a budget. Um, yeah, we, we've already learned things in this podcast chat. So we're, we're open to finding more ways, aren't we, to, to saving <laughs> a bit of money and saving the environment a little bit. We are. I'm off to knit a high-vis hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fabulous idea. Um, well, thank you, Fee, for, for joining me. Um, and I will, I'll put some, some links to how people can follow, follow you and, and stuff in the show notes. But thank you for joining me. It's always a pleasure. Brilliant. My pleasure. It's been a really fun discussion. And hopefully it will encourage lots of people to just give things a go, try stuff out. I hope you enjoyed the latest episode of Footnotes, the Cicerone podcast. I'd love to know what you think or if there's anything you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Please email live at cicerone.co.uk or leave a review on your podcast platform. You can follow or subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss new episodes or you can sign up to our newsletter for all our latest news, events and guidebooks. Visit cicerone.co.uk for further details. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, come and find us on our social channels. We're on all the main ones as at Cicerone Press. And we also have a Facebook group, Cicerone Connect, where you can meet and chat to other outdoor enthusiasts. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you soon.